Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to be taking a look at some of the challenges to our environment. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Mark Stoll is a professor of history at Texas Tech University, where he teaches environmental history and the history of religion. He just finished writing an environmental history of capitalism titled Profit and Environmental History. Professor Mark Stoll, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you very much, Bill. Great. I appreciate you being with me today. Why Why did you write this book? Why did you see that this is a major issue? Well, um, I was, uh, capitalism has been a lot in the news recently, ever since the, especially since the downturn of 2008. There was a lot of books that came out, uh, like Piketty's book, uh, Critical of Capitalism. And simultaneously, there's been a growing number of voices in, in environmental circles, environmental humanities, especially blaming capitalism for the environmental crises, um, particularly as global warming gets worse. Uh, but their remedies for the problem have been vague and contradictory. So I thought a history of capitalism and the environment uh, to show how we got where we are and suggesting some ideas of where we might go from here seemed appropriate. It's a very timely topic, no doubt about it. And I just want to remind our viewers too, you can go to Professor Stoll's website at www.markstoll.net to get more information about what we're talking about today. Let's, before we go too far into it, what, what is your basic definition of capitalism? I, if we had three people in the room, <laughs> people, we might have five definitions. I'm not sure. How that's, do you define it? That's absolutely true. Um, there's many definitions of capitalism, but the one that I went with is um, that you know capitalism has appeared many times in places in history um, but it, at its most fundamental level, it is an economic system in which usually private owners of accumulated wealth, that's capital, invest it for profit in enterprises of extraction and distribution of raw materials or the production and distribution of goods. And where um, ideally unrestricted competition with other enterprises in a more or less regulated marketplace uh, decides prices. But as you can tell from all my um, uh, qualifications there, uh, it, it is uh, a system that, um, that has many variations and you, you never find it in quote unquote pure form. Exactly, that's for sure. Well, let's look at uh, some of your findings and you, you say that uh, Western capitalism has evolved. What stages has it gone through over the millennia, I guess we could say. Well, um, the uh, it begins with something I call incipient capitalism, then moves into mostly trade, which you could think of as mercantile capitalism, and then 
we get a development uh, that's often called plantation capitalism or something like that, uh, using slaves to uh, on a large estates to uh, produce agricultural commodities for export. Um, then we move on to uh, you know this there is um, the development of uh, empires. Uh, we move on then from, uh, from there to industrial capitalism, and finally in the last century or so we've moved into something or a little bit more than a century. Uh, we've moved into something that's uh, better thought of as consumer capitalism. Mm -hmm. What are the uh, salient, I guess, points or salient issues of each stage? How, how does industrial capitalism differ from consumer capitalism? Industrial capitalism um, begins, of course, in the 18th century in, in Britain, the one was, as we think of it today. And it... Um, is trying to use um, industrial methods, manufacturing methods, mass production to produce as many goods as possible at the cheapest price as possible. <clears throat> the problem with this was, and this repeatedly happened in the 19th century, was that you oftentimes uh, production would outrun demand. And then the whole thing would kind of collapse. So throughout the 19th century, of one downturn after another, all the way um, repeatedly. Um, and the solution to that was to increase demand, to run ahead of uh, production. And that's where we get consumer capitalism, which is focused on getting us to spend, getting us to buy more things. And the more things you buy, the faster the system goes, the more money that's circulating, everybody gets wealthier. Um, but production has to increase. There's your environmental aspect because production requires raw materials. It certainly does, yes. And energy. I'm sorry. Please continue. No, and energy. Just wanted to add. Yeah. Oh, and energy, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's how do how do these two forces come together? Is it current? I mean, some people say, well, capitalism, you're free to invest your money to do more or less what you'd like to do to pursue your own professional path or whatever the case might be. You can accrue the money. You can give it away. You can invest it. Whatever. But we still have this environment. We have an environmental problem that exists today. What are the inconsistencies? How do these two systems collide? How does current day capitalism not helping to preserve our environment or to reduce some of the major problems we have, such as the proliferation of carbon, the, which is causing the melting of icebergs, the rising of the oceans, the deforestation, attacks on uh, the oceans, whatever. How, how do those two conflict with each other? Well, um, the consumer capitalism and capitalism has uh, the advantage of giving all of us, probably everybody who's watching this, um, a, a pretty good life. Um, I just look around me here. I, I, I'm well-dressed, I'm well-fed, um, and... and well housed and uh, I travel all around the world uh, regularly, and it's this is um, historically remarkable that I don't have to slave labor, work hard um, physically for my uh, to make a living. So that you know, capitalism can, on the positive side, gives us a really good life and gives us incredible amounts of food and everything we need 
really astonish historically astonishingly cheaply um but of course that's at an environmental cost so the problem is that in capitalism does bring all these benefits so it's really you just can't get rid of it um or even trying to you know, a lot one of the problems with the solutions people have is that um you can't stop the cycle of consumption without the whole thing just sort of collapsing. We saw this is what happened in 1929. This is what almost happened in 2008, where the system just stopped working. Um, and quick action by the government um, prevented the slide down into a, another depression. So <clears throat> if you stop the cycle of consumption and the money passing through people's pockets, uh, you don't just get reduction of consumption or, you know, uh, something that would be desirable for many people, but you, uh, the whole system either it either grows or it doesn't. You can't really kind of find this lovely plateau and just sort of stay there. So uh, we're sort of stuck. Um, we have looking for a solution that will give us the benefits of consumer capitalism, but without destroying the earth at the same time with global warming as you mentioned but you know um, destruction of sea life and i mean the soil and it goes on and on and on plastic yes. everywhere yeah it certainly yes the plastic's a major problem is in the ocean with the gyres that are out there and yeah. and the effects it's having on the, on the ocean life just incredible in fact glad you mentioned solutions when we come back in just a moment we'll talk about those well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at the role capitalism plays in assisting or maybe not assisting efforts to deal with environmental problems. My guest today is Professor Mark Stoll, a professor of history at Texas Tech University. Professor Stoll recently wrote a book titled Profit and Environmental History. We're talking about the benefits of a capitalist society, and most of the world is capitalistic right now, I would guess, in some variation, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. In Nordic countries, they say they're socialist countries, but really it's, it's sort of a democratic socialism is what it exactly. is, and yeah. they're very capitalistic. So my question is, can there there are problems, obviously, in capitalism because you have developer well one of the main problems you have developers and another problem is with the fossil fuel industry and how they have as i read not long ago 17 trillion dollars in fossil fuels of coal gas and oil in the ground that they want to sell and we know the fossil fuels are debilitating our planet they're destroying the well they're destroying the planet for many yeah. ways we don't we don't have to go into great detail about that i don't yeah. think but how do we tinker with this system? How do we make it more appealing? 
and more convincing to people who want to stay with the capitalistic system and still save the environment. Can we tweak it or do we have to reinvent a new system? Or what, what is the solution there? Well, um, certainly we've got a lot of barriers to any solution, one of which being the fossil fuels. But um, in a sense, what one can hardly blame them. Um, there is billions. I haven't seen any total for the amount of money that's maybe trillions, probably trillions of dollars invested in the the rights for the the the, the oil rights and the the pumping, the infrastructure, the pipelines, the um, all these tankers all over the world, um, the refineries, the delivery systems. It's so you know everywhere, and it's they've got so much money invested, and they've also got this duty to their shareholders to continue to um, provide, um, you know, keep the stocks up, and that all all of this is pressure on them to do what in the larger picture is the wrong thing. So I, it's easy to be moralistic about them, but in practical terms, I don't know what else they really could be doing. But um, as far as solutions is concerned, um, it seems to me a conundrum because we are on this merry-go-round of consumer capitalism that has to grow all the time. Uh, and we really can't get off without uh, the whole thing collapsing. Um, at least historic history says that. So it's um, the thing to me, it's like, well, we've got to somehow make consumer capitalism um, more ecologically sustainable without giving up consumer capitalism. And since consumer capitalism's problem is the, the use of resources beyond what the earth can provide, um, it seems to me that maybe if we switch more to consuming things that don't require extracting resources, you know, um, more and more actually people are moving this way. Um, you'll, young people spend a lot of time getting entertainment online, you know, streaming movies, streaming programs, um, video games. Um, so this uh, is entertainment that requires um, its consumption. You're paying money. But you are not the the amount of energy that's being involved here is minimal. There's other you know minimal sorts of ways to spend your money, which would be you know things like looking for paying for experience for uh, you know an easy way to do that would be you know jump on a cruise ship and go cruising. I know cruise ships are not exactly very environmental, but per person they're pretty low in their consumption. Um, and it's less than, you know, buying more things. This is the thing, you know, buying the, the, uh, there's a direct, there's a, uh, an official with, um, Ikea who, uh, a few years ago was on an interview with, on NPR. And, uh, he says, you know, we have to plan for peak stuff. Everybody has owned, owns as much stuff as they really want to pack within their apartments, within their houses. Um, and Ikea, which sells stuff, right? Cheap stuff that breaks and needs to be replaced or is meant to be um, disposable, really. Um, they're making a living from consumption, but they're already thinking about, we're going to have to get away from stuff, which is really 
that's our challenge. Can we get away from stuff? And we still have to spend our money because it has to stay in circulation to keep us all, you know, <laughs> from, you know, if it stops going. Our, our, quality, our quality of life. Quality be, of life. But, absolutely be affected or devastated to some yeah. degree. If it does collapse, then you know that creates social problems. That creates, of course, starvation or uh, people thrown out of work. It creates political problems because people become attracted to political extremism. So it's like, no, 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 we can't stop it. Can't stop the consumer capitalism because it's it's um, it's dangerous. It, it's uh, you know we're all hot walking this this high wire. It, we certainly are. It seems like though that. As we're seeing now that a lot of green energy is coming online, clean yeah. energy. And 12, 15 years ago, solar was extremely expensive. Today, it's one of the cheapest forms of energy. We've got wind power. We've got tides. We've got a variety of different clean sources of energy that are providing energy to keep our homes lit and insulated and what have you and air conditioners on and that type of thing. But it seems to me that if we could just gradually move into this, we would have at least a half of a shot to save planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we don't do it, it's almost like we're going to be on the last night of the Titanic. <laughs> and the band played on. We're just yeah, right. watching the Earth literally disintegrate, and it is disintegrating. There's no doubt about it. And we're watching it disintegrate, and we're just waiting for it to go under the under the waves and that's going to be it but yeah. there is no planet b but it it seems that the, the leaders and there are many leaders who are thinking this and a lot of uh, specialist academics and what have you who believe that we've got to move more quickly and we'll have to deal with this dislocation what are we going to do with all those tankers that won't be hauling oil anymore what are we going to be doing with the, the gas stations that are out there that will be charging mm -hmm cars instead of loading them up with diesel or gasoline but this is something that we're going to have to confront are we not we absolutely are and i mean i'm all for you know clean energy and i've got my electric car and you know uh, uh, we do it we can but um there'd be no problems with it and for example one of the reasons why you've got so few charging stations in the united states is that they don't make any money you know a gas station does um, so you're not encouraging, you know, your gas station owner to, to transition. Um, so I, you know, there, there, there are barriers. And plus, you know, the fossil fuel industry, which is formidable still, uh, but there, at that recent climate summit in Cairo, they said that there were more fossil fuel lobbyists there than there were delegates. So it's exactly. no we're not getting anywhere. Exactly. No, the fossil fuel industry was well represented at the UN conference. In fact, overtly represented, according to many people who yeah. six hundred some odd people. Yeah, six hundred lobbyists. Probably yeah. fuel fossil fuel lobbyists were there. Yes, that's that's for sure. But we've we're going to have to move in this direction yeah. over. It, the the dire prediction is that by 2030, if we haven't made major changes, we will be beyond the tipping point. The one that Al Gore referenced, golly, back in 2000, I guess it was, been years. Long ago. Yeah. ago, talking about how we were going to hit a tipping point 
And once we go beyond it, the melting of the glaciers, the ice caps, the, the oceans rising, those mm-hmm. types of things will be uncontrollable. Yeah. So we don't really have much choice except to move forward on it. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, though, I noticed that you uh, were involved, I think, with the uh, Rachel Carson Center for Environment and Society. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Carson was probably the premier environmentalist. And she wrote Silent Spring back when it was very unpopular to attack the insecticide industry and talk about what pesticides were doing. It's a very eye-opening book, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so what what exactly is this, uh, the Rachel Carson uh, environment? Uh, well, Rachel, Rachel Carson, Carson Center, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, founded, it's in Germany, which, of course, is pretty far from anywhere Rachel Carson ever was. But um, when it was founded, they wanted it to name it after somebody whose name was recognizable around the world. So it's this International Center for um, Environmental Humanities, and they bring students and scholars there to uh, uh, students to study and scholars to write. And I was uh, lucky enough to get a fellowship at the Rachel Carson Center to write this book uh, back in fall of 2019, uh, just before the pandemic. So it was remarkably well-timed in retrospect. But uh, yeah, it's uh, funded by the um, German government, very generously funded by the German government. And it's just a remarkable place for um, uh, for scholars to get together and, and discuss their various, their research and various aspects of the environment and, and humanities. And we'll put up their website. It's a lengthy website, so we'll just put it up there. I won't even try to, to say what it is. Did I also see in your book that you had a notation from uh, Jane Goodall, Dr. Goodall? Was she referenced in your book? or um, No. Um, you think of Catherine Hayhoe, perhaps? No, I, that may be it. Yes, right. Now, I thought it was Jane Goodall, but uh, I'm mistaken on that. Yeah. But, but anyway, this is a major, major problem that we need to deal with. And time is running out. I think we're all in agreement with that. And there is a lot being done. The United Nations has brought together the countries of the world. It, uh, that was the yes. top 27. So they had yeah. at least 27 conferences. But the countries have to do it. It's not yeah. the UN can't do it. The UN is not a one world government. It doesn't tell people what to do, what to buy, where to live, how to do this, that, or the other. But the countries have to do it and the politicians right. have to get involved. But let me just ask you in our closing minute and a half, what recommendations would you make to everyone, anyone listening, the media people, political leaders, academics? anyone who has an interest in this topic and we should all have an interest in it, what should we do to focus on this and to move more rapidly than what we've done in the past? Well, I think absolutely what must be done is to control the power of corporations, that they have grown immensely powerful since the Reagan administration worldwide and that they are putting the roadblocks ahead or, you know, slowing things down immensely. We do need government action and government coordination around the world to make this, to make this work, to, uh, to deal with this crisis. 
And to do that, we're going to have to uh, break up the power of the corporation, uh, revive things like um, antitrust, um, revive things like um, regulation, which went out of style during the Reagan administration. Um, and we now have this sort of neoliberal orthodoxy that's pressuring everyone. But um, it's the corporations with their advertising power, with their political power, have been able to um, slow any progress down. And uh, so if, when people, I suppose, are saying, you know, capitalism's fault, this must, it's probably what they're thinking about. But we can, we're going to need the capitalism. We just need to not move in the direction where um, corporations get larger and larger and more and more powerful. Um, so that would be my recommendation because that will give us space to, uh, to act. We need a new, you know, great society or a new progressive era or something or new deal as they put it. Well, you're absolutely right. We are not going to get rid of capitalism. It's not going to happen, but we need yeah. to tweak it so that we can make an effort to save the planet. And it's important that we do so because this, uh, the experts are saying the time's running out and we're not yeah. going to make the end result. It, it's just not going to be pleasant if we survive the end result. But Professor Mark Stoll, I want to thank you so much for your very interesting and a very informative program and bringing us up to date on some ideas as to what we can do to help us create this better world. But thank you for being on the program today. Thank you very much, Bill. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.